Welcome to the Nowhere Bus. I'm the driver, Darren Clark, along with our navigator and beverage server, Mal Manon. Today is a big day as not only do we have Stu Christie back for his second time on the show, he also brought us a list of things to talk about. So he is, so to speak, behind the wheel in this edition of the Nowhere Bus. So let's not delay any further as today we'll talk Mal's experience with the likes of Getty Lee, Muninori Kawasaki, and Steve Simmons. We'll examine signs that somebody might be a wanker hockey player. We'll look at Stu's lingering dislike for Mike Babcock and Cleveland's failure to take fate by the Horns versus Kansas City in last week's football game. We'll answer a few questions from listeners and much, much more. So enjoy! The other discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago as far as Jimmy VC and Alex Kerfoot, it's like, like they're in your top six. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, something, something, they got nothing. They turn the puck over. They're just, Oh my God, I'm trying my hardest, but I don't know. And then again, I mean, you could say the same thing about Edmonton too, right? That's right. But I'm watching Twitter and everybody's, bitching about Nylander and where is he? I go, well, he's playing with Jimmy Vesey for starters. I mean, he's already handicapped. I mean, not, not to give him a full pass here, but that, that ain't going to work. You got to figure this out in a hurry. <laughs> you know, although it doesn't seem to matter where you put Zach Hyman. Guy's a nice hockey player. Yeah. Just, play, you know, <laughs> I like him. It, it just, to me, he he should be in your top six. I don't know what else you're going to do. I mean, Robertson getting hurt kind of made things a little bit more difficult too. But you know what? I don't know what Keith's going to do because to me, after you want to assess those two guys, Kerfoot and and VC or Vessi, some people call him Vessi, some people call him VC. <laughs> Anyways, I think you might even have to give Mikheyev a shot in the top six wow. as opposed to those two guys. He might have been their best player last night. Yeah, he was kind of fun to watch, but uh, I, it's what Darren said earlier. You know, and Buffalo went through this. Why, why mess with a good thing? Hyman was on that top line, and so when, when Buffalo put Reinhardt back on the top line, it just went bam. It's like, yeah. wow, this is great. Or you're like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's never not worked. You know. Yeah. Problem is, you put Hyman on that top line, and then you move Thornton off, and. What do you do with him? He comes less yeah. impactful, <laughs> you know. I don't know how, how long is he out for. Have you heard? I didn't hear anything. Did you, Darren? No, I just checked online and I didn't see it. It seems to be he's gone for a bit, but a bit. nothing specific. It's standard hockey stuff. Let's try and be as vague as we can about all of this. <laughs> What's going on with Stu being early? I wasn't prepared for this. here almost ten minutes before you. I know. Are you serious? Yeah, and I'm early. So Stu's like making, he's atoning it, well, for, yeah. for the last one. Ah, That's huge. the last one. What are you, what are you, what are you going to nibble on today? You got any food over there, Stu? Or? <laughs> no, I'm not. I've already learned my lesson. That's not going to happen. The peanuts are away. They're not going to be here today. <laughs> well, we uh, were told one of the big criticisms of your first appearance was that we didn't give you enough of an opportunity to talk. Yes. So, so to me, today's today is the day that we're going to atone. Well, because the Stu Christie fans have, have spoken. The demand was so high, Stu. The demand yeah. was so high, we could just not, we could not 
wait any longer to bring you back on. So I was like, so you're, you're oh, driving we, the bus today. We relent. We relent. Yeah. <laughs> you get Stu. I didn't feel that way. I thought I contributed last time. Oh, you did. But they want more Stu. Yeah, it was too much us, not enough Stu was the criticism. Which I think was fair criticism, actually, when yeah. you listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. So was that the first topic you guys were talking about the Leafs? That game last night was torture. That it was, was torture. I, it reminded me of that first Sabres game, I said. that's And everyone at, since then has been a pleasure to watch, but that one last night was awful. Like, And I said this too, I said, I think Edmonton wanted it that way. Um, they were kind of desperate, and the Leafs just didn't have an answer for that. I don't know, they weren't prepared for that kind of game, I don't think. And, God, I don't want to see Edmonton play that kind of game either, but it, they – Kind of needed to do it, I think, for a night. Can can someone make Alex Kerfoot tape a stick like a grown-up? <laughs> I, I didn't. Why I didn't he's, notice? He's got to I fill. I mean, Phil Kessel could do it. I guess he's scored fifty goals, and he's Phil Kessel. But he tapes it the old candy cane. Oh right. Thing. right. And to me, like if I'm on the ice before a game and I'm playing somebody I don't know, and I see a guy with his stick taped like that. That that's all I need to know about that guy. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. gonna do dumb things. He's gonna skate around like crazy, but not really accomplish a whole lot. He's yeah. he's that guy. He's that guy. Yeah, because right? he chose the Candy. same part of his brain that said tape your stick like that is employed when he has to make decisions in rapid time on a ice hockey surface, right? As, as you like to say, it's a tell. There's no question there. <laughs> I was saying, how bad is that Edmonton team, though? I'm sorry. Like, ugh. like obviously, the top-end stuff is really nice. And that back-end, I said, even when they made the trade for Hall and Larson, you're going, what is wrong with these guys? You know? And then yeah. to watch Adam Larson just be a nothing guy, just a guy, you know? It's kind of interesting. Blocker. But they've got some – what's the guy's name on the back-end? Coke? Coca or something and, and bear cuckoo cuckoo for cocoa puffs. That's what I thought all game last night. And bear. Every time they said cuckoo, I was like cuckoo for cocoa puffs. There's got to be a way to work this into the to the game call. Not good. <laughs> he was. I didn't think he was too bad. Well, it was sure. hard to tell last night because everybody looked lousy to me. Everybody yeah. was causing me pain by by just watching the game and having to to view what was going on. I I, I can't believe people were criticizing Bill. Because I, I thought Nealander has been probably one of their best players so far this season. A little quiet last night, but everybody was. And like you say, it's those games where you notice that it's a two-person line. That they've got their top two lines are two-guy lines, right? Yeah. And it puts a little too much pressure on, you know, Matthews and Marner on the top line and, and JT and Bill on the second line. Like give them somebody to play with. Yeah, for sure Mikheyev should be on one of those top two lines. And put Hyman back and... Figure out your bottom six. Shouldn't be that hard. Well, it, it might be, though. Like, when you get those guys off those lines and you, you've got to put them together, that's it's pretty – you know, if you got Joe Thornton, in theory, but, playing with – But that's what's supposed to make you smart, right? That's, that's what's supposed to define you as a smart organization is the ability right. to find guys like that. When I watched the Sabres, by the way, that was the thing that, that kind of stuck out to me. There was a whole lot of bland. It was like an exercise in beige. That's it's all. There was nothing to those bottom lines. Well, but the bottom lines are 
actually better than they've been. That's how bad those lines were. Um, you're right, though. There's a lot of beige in that hockey team, and that's why you that's why you lose games in the third period and things along those lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somehow. And I think coaching has something to do with it. I was, I was watching New Jersey last weekend, and they were playing fantastic hockey. And I'm like, oh, no, they're in our division, and they're not supposed to be good. And Jack, Jack Quinn, is it? Jack Hughes? Jack Hughes. Sorry, Jack Quinn's a Sabres guy. From last year, he he couldn't play. He was just too thin, too small. He's dynamite this year. And <laughs> I said I said to uh, someone, I said, you know, Lindy Ruff just knows how to coach a third period. He just knows how to do it. And she goes, you're right. Um, we're missing that somehow in Buffalo. And I, I think there's something to it. You know what I mean? Just how your mentality is when it's a tie hockey game and we got to get that point, you know, that's there's invariably the Sabres make a mistake. They just make a mistake that they're too loose. You know, I think you're too average too a lot of your team. And I've always, I've played on a lot of bad teams in my life. And you know, when you're in that situation where it's a tie game or close to the end of the game, that you're going to lose because right. you don't have the horses. And it that's just right. feels like when I watch the Sabres, they, they don't have the horses and that's where, uh, you know, the cream rises to the top in those those critical junctures, you know, generally. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And you, you can't even argue that one. That's been the problem. So, but they are a lot more enjoyable to watch. And I'm looking forward to uh, at least the games to see with Hall and Eichel. I mean, it's, it's pretty electric when they're out there. I'll say that. So whether they win or lose, but. Uh, Have you guys acknowledged this is a big day? It popped up in my Facebook memories today. As Jays fans, I hope you know what this is the anniversary of. It's been five years since a very big, momentous occasion in Blue Jays history. A sad one. I probably should be well aware of it, shouldn't I? You you probably should. Munenori Kawasaki not re-signed by the Jays five years ago. And I wrote up a big thing on Facebook apparently five years ago. I didn't really remember doing it. And it was about the first time, and Stu, you might remember this, that I became aware of his existence. It was in Buffalo at a Bises game. Remember that really cold day? I, I do. think we ended, we ended up huddled in the, uh, the restaurant. Well, didn't an umpire yeah. get knocked out in that game? Yeah. There was a big delay. And we're like, let's just go someplace warm and peek out yeah. a window. But there was the part I remember is we're wandering around as, as we're – liable to do at a Bison's game looking for a new spot to sit and check out the game we got a beer in our hands and between innings they had Bison's players singing the American National Anthem <laughs> and on comes Kawasaki and he is butchering it destroying it he doesn't know the words but he's joyfully singing it despite not knowing any words and there's a guy a classic buffalonian right beside me this older guy and he says that kind of leather-lunged buffalo voice kawasaki you're you're ruining our anthem which (laughs) he kind of was but even he even this buffalo guy it seemed hard for him to pull off the level of anger he wanted to because how can you really be angry at Munenori Kawasaki. I've never so, seen anyone angry at him ever, ever. That's just not something. He he united people like I've never seen. <laughs> He's a beauty, man. And and to put yourself out there like that, he did that all the time. Yeah. Like just had no shame that way, which I guess was part of the charm. So for those of us that like you were behind the scenes with him, is he as as genuinely that guy as he appears to be? Hundred percent. 
100%. He united all fractions of the clubhouse. The Dominicans, um, you know, didn't matter who he was, the stars, you know, the 25th guy, which he was, everybody loved him. Everybody. It just, he was just a character. And yeah, honest as the day is long. He just was just a happy dude, man. It was, uh, it was, it was, hey, you're like that too. It got him extra time in the bigs. He made a lot of money being that guy. <laughs> I mean, well, there's something to be said for that, right? Like it's, it means something. We've all worked. There was a guy I used to work with at the factory named Ryan McMullen, who is a, a really great guy, the best hacky sack player you ever want to meet. A big influence on, on my hacky sack playing. I, I'll say Ryan McMullen. And Ryan was a terrible worker, he's horrible. Ryan essentially wandered around talking to people and people would say to me, you know, Ryan's not doing his job. And it's like, don't worry about it. Don't complain about Ryan to anybody. Ryan makes all of our days better. He's got like a, a real joy about him. He's Scottish. So he had that, that great Scottish kind of self-deprecating uh, sense of humor. And he tells, tells stories because Ryan was kind of a shorter guy about his dad talking about shooting him out of a cannon. And it's just every, he just had the knack for telling you stories that made you laugh and made life seem worth living. And at a factory, there's not enough of those guys, right? And Stu's worked at a factory. He can probably relate to the need for some guys with some joy happening, no right? Definitely. And like you said, though, the difficult part about it is you have to take his work ethic, I guess subtle because as much as he is a great guy being around there are occasions where you've got to look at the work ethic part of it too and you know he at least needs a talking to <laughs> right well it's you know what it's, it's like we talk about analytics and and how that stuff does matter and it does matter I, I bet you ryan made you guys a little bit better sometimes and there's something to camaraderie inside a team that maybe brings it together a little bit and it does matter how much but to Stu's point eventually if you can't play the game that your time does come uh, but it lasts a little longer than some other guys because yeah. of it, you know what I mean <laughs> you get a little bit more time in the show or at the factory because of it yeah so five years ago the Blue Jays did not re-sign Minonera Kawasaki but he went somewhere else didn't he, he went to the Cubs he did yeah, right. for, I think two years he played, didn't he? If I'm not I don't know how much of a up and down. Yeah, I don't think he got much of a shot there. That was a good team that he joined, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. But he was around, I think, you know. And yeah. I, is that one one too? Was he on a World Series team? I don't know. I don't know if he was actually I don't think he was on it, but he might have been on that year up and down. I that's a good yeah. question. I'm sure uh, some of our loyal listeners will fill us in. Yeah, I actually, if we if we have time, I actually have a couple questions from from listeners. They're for Mel though, so this isn't going to help our get Stu to talk more. Let's, let's save let's save those for a little bit. But yeah, Stu, what do you got for us today? Yep. What's uh, what's what's burning inside that uh, that mind of yours? Well, I guess if we're going to start anywhere, I'm thinking we might as well start with George Springer. I don't know about. Why? Well, I guess I do. I was going to say, because Kirby Yates is there too, but Kirby Yates will be in the background right now. I think that George Springer signing is fabulous. I think that they were hurting up the middle as much as I would have liked to have got Lindor, not getting Lindor as much of a bummer as that was. I think getting George Springer is going to be very good, especially recently when I've been hearing about 
how great of a teammate he is and how in the in the in the clubhouse he, he really does a good job on getting people together. And so I think both of those things, not only what he does offensively, how he is as a as a center fielder, but I think he's almost exactly what the Blue Jays need. Hey, wait a second. <laughs> what was that ring? Was was nineteen seventy two calling you? Yeah. <laughs> what was that ring? Can we see that phone? The, oh, let me see that. I got to see that phone. Oh, you got that oh, on your cell phone. phone. I thought that was on, on the wall. Oh, okay. I, yeah, because you're down in your basement. I pictured. <laughs> yeah, one of the old rotary phones. <laughs> which, which I would have actually preferred. It would have been so on brand for Stu. <laughs> but the great ring. Great idea, Stu. Well, that's a great ringtone, actually. <laughs> 1972. Oh, so back to Springer thing. Uh, what are your thoughts, Darren? What are my thoughts on Springer? I think it's a pretty straightforward one. It's it's a great signing. You know, I mean, it's what they should be doing. I would have preferred. This is, I mean, we talked about Rio Muto as a, kind of the ideal guy uh, because they do have some depth in the outfield. But I mean, it's great signing. It's it's pretty straightforward. I think he's he's the perfect kind of he's a he's a butcher up there. Like he's he's going up there to hack. And, but he's not a dummy, you know what I mean? Like he's oh, wow. he's a force up there. I, I love he's got some, I hate to use this word, but he's got some swagger in his game that's legitimate, genuine. There's there's some joy there. It's it's not a lot of BS. Seems who he is. So I think he fits in well. And I, is he a great center fielder defensively? Probably not, but not anymore. We've been going with plenty fine. You know, yes, definitely. I, I think it's a great idea too, honestly. And like I said, to Darren's point, I think that's the kind of thing this team should be doing and should have been doing for a while, to be honest with you. Just keep going. There's more there. I mean, that being said, Springer on his own ain't going to get you over the top, I don't believe, so to speak. They need pitching. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And I would really be disappointed if they're just after relievers and they're going to play the Tampa Bay Ray game again. That wouldn't be very much fun to watch. But uh, no. They need to go out and find a, a, a t- two starting pitchers, uh, I I would think. So that would yeah, be the next uh, thing from here to spring training would be my guess. Who they are, I don't know. I I, I think Paxton is kind of interesting, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons why he might be intriguing to add to your rotation. The Bauer thing, it's not, I don't know what he is. I don't know. Yeah, it, He's that's a, a tough one. I mean, prior to last year, it wasn't that great. Like, Well, he had one great season prior to yeah. that, and that was – I mean, so much of that was – I mean, not to diminish it. He was great that whole season, but, but he was in a division ball. with Kansas City, Detroit, where he's facing those guys over and over. And White they Sox. were awful teams. And the White Sox at that point as well. Even the yeah. Twins weren't a good team. So you're just facing bad team after bad team after bad team. Uh, but obviously he was in a, a good hitter's park, pitching in a good hitter's park in a fairly tough division last year. So, I mean, you can't say it's it's a short season, but it was But he was legit. Seems legit to me. Look, you can never question anybody. I, there are some concerns. His spin rate went up just like they did with the Astros. He's been prominent in killing those guys for it. There's some things there that cause me concern if I'm going to be the one that's going to drop so much money on a guy like that. I just, I'm just not sure what it is. And you wonder how, me. 
he was able to add so much spin rate without making across his whole menu of pitches. It was each one went up fairly drastically and there's not a, a meaningful change to his delivery or, or anything. So you think, where's, where's this coming from exactly? That's right. And that's the thing I would be hesitant with if I'm the one writing it, Jack. If you get that guy, you're, you're there, man. You got Bauer, Ryu, and then you fill in the rest, I guess. You're looking pretty good. There's, there's a high risk, put it that way. <laughs> risk reward. Absolutely. I think that he's a very average pitcher. I know his numbers last year did jump off the charts, and so maybe he has changed. But I think that getting back to what we were talking about with Kawasaki, his dressing room presence might be a deterrent. You know what? Can you get over that? Yeah. Is there some leadership in there that might be able to calm him down? Yeah, but I don't know if I want to bring that into a group of, of, of young players that are, are, oh. are looking to get somewhere and go forward. And he might be a little bit, not only like, like I think that they're probably going to, like you said about signing the check, he's going to, demanding a lot of money and i think that there's more downsides than upsides to go into sign trevor bauer well i think the the dressing room stuff i think that's us looking through our lens as guys who are 50 years old and coming at it from a different angle i don't think the modern major league baseball player in any way has an issue with him it, it seems okay, well, like the he's that i'm looking well at liked. From, the and he's I'm actually well, one thing, if I could just finish it, he's been real helpful to a lot of different pitchers like Mike Clevenger, who's had a lot of success before getting banged up last year, credits Trevor Bauer massively with, with him becoming a much better pitcher. He, he actively works with all the guys, he his teammates. So he's a positive guy, I think. We just tend to look at him as a bit of a wanker on, on Twitter, but I think we're just a different generation looking at something that doesn't compute to us because it shouldn't. We're just... Well, the other part of it is what he did out in the left field bleachers after Cleveland told him that he's not going to be coming back to the team. And that was probably more of a, this guy's a doughhead than anything he's done on Twitter. Well, you didn't like his knapsack or what, what did he do? What did he do exactly? (laughs) Oh, he sat out in the bleachers and he was just, he, he, he was, he was calling out players and, and mocking them and, and chirping them from the outfield during a game. Darren does that every time he goes to a ball game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a nice chirper. I'm a nice you are chirper. actually. You had the ultimate chirp. <laughs> Stu, we were at a exhibition stadium, I think it was, wasn't it? No, it was the Dome. Was it, it was, was Guzman. That? Actually, good, good pitching matchup. It was Guzman, Jose Guzman against Jim Abbott, when Jim Abbott was real good. But the we Angels. had great seats that day for some reason. I might have been working at the Sheraton Center and got him – from an umpire so. or something, because there's no other way we would have been paying for those seats at the time. So we were right close to the action, and it was great. And Ken Kaiser was the umpire, the the legendary big old Ken Kaiser. And then yep. everything calmed down, and Darren just out of the blue yelled, "Kaiser, you're a bun." <laughs> I've never forgotten that one. You're Kaiser, a bun, you're Kaiser. Uh, yeah, so I, I still think there's lots of room for them. To add guys, I don't. Oh, Yates, I don't know. Yates didn't throw a lot last year, no. so hurt. what? What didn't exactly was hurt on him? I don't think he threw at all. Uh, he threw a few innings. He had like an ERA. By the way, just to provide closure on the uh, Munenori Kawasaki thing, he had twenty six at bats in twenty sixteen. 
and uh, the Cubs did win the World Series that year. My memory over too. over wow. Cleveland, as a matter. And of what about the next year? Was he there? No. Oh, if he was, was, he was in the minors. That was that was it for him in the major leagues. Okay, that was the end of Mooney as we knew him. Yeah, and you know what? He had a like consider who he was and what he had to offer on the diamond. For him to have as profound an impact on a fan base as he did. Oh, it was amazing. Good for you. It was amazing. Bush party. So what what else is going on, Stu? What else is on your mind? Yeah, so just to bring up, it's it's I think that they gotta get some pitching. I guess we've already talked about that. So that that's where the Jays are. I think that they're gonna be fine. Um some of the stuff I've been reading about about the Yankees or or even Tampa, does this signing now put them on a level with the Yankees in Tampa? I don't think so. I think that they got at least two more players to get before they're going to be on level with them. But I think they are a much better team. Well, I don't know if Tampa's really got that much going on. I don't think Tampa's that scary. I think they're a low-ceiling team. They're a good team. They got you know good defense. They put well together. Wander Franco's on the way. But, I mean, trading away – Great assets. The loss of who they have under control for three years is is asinine. So their totally. their tendency to try to be so clever, like look how clever we are, I think causes them a bit of trouble. I, I don't see why the Jays shouldn't be able to surpass them, especially with the wealth of opportunities available to improve their team this offseason. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the only reason you trade Snell is if he went in because of what happened and said, I won't pitch for you anymore. And we probably would have heard about it if that was the case. You know what I mean? Otherwise, those are the types of guys you actually keep if you're Tampa. He's under control. You signed him already to a below market deal. That's the that's what you're trying to do all the time. And you had it. And then, you know, yeah, look how smart we are. We're going to do this. We're going to trade our asset and get stuff in here and still win. Well, we'll see. I'm not so sure Tampa's great either. Until they lose, I guess you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's such a crazy good opportunity for them. Like, there's how many teams are really trying to compete in the AL right now? There's the Yankees. There's Blue Jays. The Blue Jays. There's Rays. Um, Houston and the Rays. But but even these teams aren't trying all that hard. For you to take a run and know that there's, you know, 90% of the league isn't really trying that hard. It just opens up such a great window of opportunity for them. I think they have to go in all in in this offseason. How often are you going to get this kind of opportunity to have a beeline on the World Series? Like, it's not crazy to talk about the World Series because the Yankees aren't that great, and it's only one team. So fate hits them the wrong way, and who else do you got to worry about? And and baseball is of all the sports the biggest crapshoot in the postseason. Just get yeah. in, just get in, because it's four out of seven. Baseball's not built that way, you know. It's not basketball, football, or hockey for that matter. You get in, you've got a shot, a legit shot to win everything. So yeah, I mean that's why Oakland's there every year. Other people aren't. It's not because Oakland's so fantastically. Yeah. You know, they're just somebody's got to win and they're smart enough to be in the mix. That's it. Somebody has to win. It's like, a thing. And when you got 80% of the American League not trying, 80%, 90%, whatever you want to say, a significant amount of the league not trying, somebody has to win these games. So you don't have to be yeah, superstar. Yeah, two teams yeah. are playing. They can't both lose. Although some teams want to. 
They both can't lose that day. That's right. That's, that's correct. It's funny how the math works. Yeah, no, I, I think the Jays are going to be in this mix, obviously, even if they don't do anything, but they need to be better to increase their chances yeah. for sure. Does that satisfy your Blue Jays talk there? Definitely. Stu? Now, let, can I make a point? Um, we talked about this briefly, and I just uh, – stuff that's near and dear to my heart, so knowing how it works in the background, just what happened with the Springer and Brantley stuff, how the media reacts and the state of media these days – Everybody has this insane desire to be first and get credit to break <laughs> stories and to, to make their brand credible. And they're all making it up. And it's such a disservice to journalism, in my opinion, and where we are with our, our society of hot takes. And, you know, I, I don't even know if I blame people. It's just the Twitter the way it works with media. And look how it backfired with Brantley. The way the Springer thing went down, yeah, you right. it broke. One guy broke it, and then everybody jumped Who broke in. it? Even Who What's broke the, the Springer thing come to the Jays? Was uh, that Hazel May? That's what, no, 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 no. Um, Hazel was the Brantley thing. Um, that's what I mean. Was a New York writer, right? Not even like not a prominent guy, and he and he had it, and then other people jump on to make it look like they had it or they've got news and then national media has got to come in. And if you look at the wording of the, the tweets, they're covering their angles just to make sure if it doesn't happen, they go, well, there was a chance. And it just, and then the next day, the Brantley thing that didn't exist, that's the downside. It didn't happen. And you can end up with egg on your that's, face. That's right? what I meant. Was that not Hazel, Hazel May on that one? Yeah, that one was the second day for sure. And that, and I mean, obviously, we don't know what took place there. Right. I'm sure she must have had some sort of <laughs> confirmation, obviously, to go through. Yeah. But it, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. And you need to jump and get it out. And everybody just assumes it's gospel when it isn't. And it's just funny to see how it works, even with the national guys. I'm sorry. You watch John Heyman's tweets, and it's just Bowers called him out too. He says, "You don't, you have no idea what you're talking about." Yeah. But you build a brand, and people do think you do they, more than you, you. I mean, obviously, they do have sources. So, you know, you have to be somewhat credible over time. But a lot of it is just keeping my name out there, and I don't have anything to add. And then it appears as though you do. It's just, it's just amazing how it works, as opposed to what it used to be back in the day when. You had to wait till the newspaper came out in the morning. There was time. There was time to verify things. And that and accuracy is what mattered. Accuracy is gone bye-bye now. And it's just, I just find it amazing. I don't know. It's just an interesting, and that's it's just the way it is. It's the way it is. It's a wild west. I think there's two aspects to it that are almost seem contradictory on its face. I think it's, it's a wild west in terms of, I don't understand why people need to rush ran and get that news out there. It does seem irresponsible and somewhat unprofessional at times. On the other hand, I think people's reaction, like like Hazel getting crucified yesterday for that, settle down. Are you okay? Is, did, yeah, is this the down. worst thing that's ever happened to you? Is that you thought for a second that we would have Brantley on our team? Right. And he, he's not coming. Did you already buy a uniform? Did you have your wife make a pillow cover with his name and uniform I was on, on the it? Phone ordering tickets. <laughs> yeah. You're okay, man. You're all right. Settle down. I think people get a little wound up in terms of, 
how could you say such a thing when it wasn't totally true? It, it, we have to accept it is the way it is at this point. Just wait before you, I guess, have an emotional investment in Michael Brantley being a Blue Jay. Fair. I guess a lot of people did, but it's just going to be that way. I don't see it changing anytime soon. It's the modern lay of the You're right. Land. You're right. It, I guess the lesson here is we need critical thinking. Just realize, just, just understand what you're reading. Think of I it. Want, just I really, I was listening to our last one with Asha and on a couple occasions, I, I kind of made fun of the old philosophy degree. <laughs> because I know Asha and I can joke about it. Say, right. But I do want to say that I think the world doesn't have enough philosophy degrees. And I think the war on liberal arts has been bad for us as a society. And we got 8 billion people walking around with business degrees who, you know, tape their stick like Alex Kerfoot. And that's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we need more. We need more thoughtful people out there. And business degrees, like when you look what happened in the United States, like I don't know if you guys watched the celebration last night of America or I, can't I couldn't watch exactly what's called. It, it was like a, a concert. Like it was like, I, I cannot watch this celebrity. It was, well, I'll, I'll tell you, here's my thought on it, which is I found it surprisingly. I got a little bit emotional at times and I'll tell you, yes, it was cheesy at, at a lot of times. Like some of the musicians were like, Oh my God, this is the worst ever. However, they were acknowledging things like 400,000 people have died of the coronavirus. And for, for a year, that hasn't been acknowledged. There's been this like con job in terms of how you should perceive it. So to me, it was just a really tragic thing unfolded there. A lot of people died. So it was nice to see that. It seemed like there was a little more adult kind of appreciation of where they were, who they were, and what they needed to do to change. And after four years of just a debacle, lacking in humanity, like a grifter, a guy who, you know, was a manifestation of the seven deadly sins, it was just refreshing. Oh, I don't doubt that. And and there's no, we became adults, you know, overnight, kind of like you say. And I, I just didn't want to watch it for all the cheesiness too. But I, I do appreciate what you say. There's no question. Maybe some acknowledgement, acknowledgement of uh, the lives lost as a you know step one. I mean, yeah, real people, real people. So glad to hear that. That's for sure. What are we out, Stu? You're driving, Stu. <laughs> You're driving, driving bus, buddy. That was I'm a just, stop sign. I'm just, I'm just big old bus. On, and Biden's in, and I'm happy that I watched a little bit of the inauguration last night. But like Val was saying, I, I it seemed like just I don't know. It was, it was so much hype and so many other things going on. I was hoping to get more details on where he was going directions as far as negating some of the stuff that Trump put into place, but I wasn't able to get that. So I'm just glad that he's out and, and we got a new guy down there. And I think that everyone's going to be better for it. Well said. I just thought that it was interesting how Mike Babcock got a job with NBC. <laughs> did he i thought i saw something you know what i didn't i neglected to read the article on his explanation of the mitch marner i he guess he, was wrong. he said he was wrong and he made a mistake from what i gathered and uh live and learn basically i i, I didn't read it but i read you know snippets and right um he took full responsibility from what i what i 
For and the other, and who was the guy with the concussions from Detroit Red Wings? That was the other one. Apparently, he addressed uh, the oh, big winger, Franzen. Yeah, yeah, Johan Franzen. So what do you say about that? Did you read it, Stu? I I I read bits and pieces. I mean, he didn't. We need to start he, reading whole things as a group. I have to say, <laughs> apparently, we're only reading bits and pieces of everything. But go ahead, go ahead. He said that he's reached out a couple of times, but Franson wants nothing to do with him, so he wasn't able to apologize. But oh, okay. Franson was absolutely crushed, right? Like, Tellio said that he saw what Babcock did to Franson, and he literally caused Johan Franson to have a nervous breakdown. Wow. And, and yeah, he's just, he, he's just not – like, Mike Commodore tweeted out, Shortly after the Leafs fired him, too. He, well, Commodore is okay. He's pretty extreme. Can we say that before we're quoting Mike Commodore? I know he has a, his own individual set of experiences that shouldn't be entirely diminished by me, but he seems to be really, really off the hook at times in terms of his palpable hatred for Mike Babcock. But go ahead. What, how, about what, Mark, how about Mark Fraser? Mark Fraser, because all of these people are commenting because. The article that I was reading had pieces like obviously talking about how he thinks that one of the things that there was I was reading about in the article said that uh, Babcock thinks that it's now time for someone else to take over coaching Team Canada. <laughs> okay. Thank that you. It's probably going to happen anyway. Thank you. Thanks for your Well, it was going to happen anyways is right. That's To me, that's Mike Bobcock in a shell. Like, that's just who he is. He's got such a big ego. And I, I don't know. I just going to NBC is probably sequentially for him the next step that had to be taken to become a coach again. Yeah, I, I think you're – if I'm – doing my PR thing, I think he needs to do this. This is part of his step one of your PR tour to, to change your image so you can get back to doing what you want to do, which is coach hockey. So you, you do these kinds of things, you know, and that, that's that's how you repair an image. If, if you, you can do it, well, you always can. If I'm NBC, that type of personality is probably good. It's probably good to bring that in for your broadcast. I'm going to guess he's got some things to say. He hopefully... We talk about this with Brian Burke. Do I agree with everything he says? No, God, I think he's way off sometimes. But what I think he's great. I, I I want to hear him on the broadcast. I want to hear from Brian Burke. I want to hear what he says. He's he's entertaining though, and that's the thing that's missing in a lot of media. That should be job one: entertain me, or part of the job, big part. And Burke he brings that, and I think Babcock's got the ability to do that we'll see we'll see what his plan is but you've got to think he certainly could bring something to the table that could be interesting to hear i would think and i i think the thing to remember too is that and we talk about this all the time and i know on previous podcasts we've talked about the idea that we're trying to evolve and become better as people and how that impacts in sports and everything so is, is Mike Babcock, do you really think his behavior was that markedly different from every other coach in the NHL at that time? Fair point. Which isn't, which isn't to excuse him, but rather to say he was part of a culture that was pretty uniform at a certain point in time. And, yeah, I do think he's egotistical. And, and when he did what he did to Spezza, scratching it on that first night, which seemed pointless. 
and yeah, to to embody the fact that he's off clearly conceded in some level and that the ego has gotten a little bit crazy. But I don't think he's that extraordinary among the group of coaches. And I think there does have to be a way to address it, but not consign these guys to just being entirely discarded. There has to be a route for them to make amends and get back like an off-ramp to becoming redeemed on some level. Does it mean we forget what they did? Does it mean that what they did is, is entirely forgiven? But there has to be a way for us to reconcile the fact that was what hockey culture was. We've all played hockey. Coaches are insane. Oh, yeah. Right? Like we as kids play, like if you played traveling hockey or house league hockey, you had insane coaches. Well, you can go back a generation before us when they you didn't do what they wanted. You were you didn't play and you were gone and they owned you. You didn't have rights as a player. And go back to the punch in lack days. There's some horrible stories about how these people treated hockey players or athletes in general. So it's just been a bit of growth as we go along. So but it was still there, you know, like that culture was still there. And now as athletes get more power, that ain't happening so much anymore. It's shifting to the athlete. You can argue maybe too much at some point, you, you know, prime example, basketball. I mean, you know, they seem to run the league. Maybe they should, I don't know, but they certainly do. There's been that shift in that sport to where management and coaches aren't in control of these things anymore. It's the player who dictates and, and, I understand to a point. Well, it's, I can even remember coaching and this would have been coaching house league, 10 year olds. And I thought I was a pretty good coach and a, a thoughtful and kind coach. But I remember saying to the kids, don't stay down on the ice. And this would have been, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe a little more. Don't stay down on the ice. I want you to get back up and get back to the bench. Don't make me come out on the ice. I never want to come out the ice to get you. And part of that was I don't want kids yelling at referees or doing anything. It was like, just play the game, get back up. And I think you do need to be tough to a certain degree, but that's excessive. And that's stupid. It's a stupid thing for me to say, but that right. was, I think somewhat aligned with the thinking at the time. doesn't excuse it, but I think it informs it a little bit in terms of why I would think such a stupid thing. Macho tough guy saying first, yeah. like let's, yeah. you know, that's how you play hockey. Right. That's, yeah. And that's been part of the hockey culture. You know, it doesn't matter how hurt you are. Go in, get zipped up, and get back out here. You know what I mean? And that's you kind of like it, but at the same time, <laughs> it is kind of absurd when you think about it. I mean, you know, let's make sure the guy's healthy first. When you said that, I don't want to have. Don't make me come out on the ice and pick you up. You think that the kids were afraid or scared of you? Um, I think they were ten. <laughs> and I think that I was an adult, and I was telling them something like. Yeah, I think they, they legitimately knew that I wouldn't come out. I didn't want to come out to get them, that I expected them to be to tough it out. I mean, I'm an adult talking to a kid, right? So should yeah. they should they necessarily, like, would you as an adult think when I told you something like that, that you would listen to me? No, you wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> most people know better than to listen to me on crap like that. But they're 10 years old. They might not know. True. How, how is your experience as being a coach? You coach for a long I, I'm time. I'm trying to think, you know what? Some of the things, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I remember when they lost a close game and I would wait until I got in the room and then I said, okay, I'm going to tell you guys right now, winning is definitely not everything, but it sure is a lot more fun to win than it is to, 
go through a game like you guys just went through. And it was after right. the fact where I thought, mm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Well, I think there's a, you know what? I remember us coaching baseball and we had a pretty good team. Made it to the finals. I think we lost on a, a bad call by the umpire there late, if you recall that. I think it was should have been a bot call or something if a, our guy got picked off. But at any rate, I remember standing on the field showing the umpire a bock. <laughs> you know, there I am standing. I never, that's the only time that's I ever so argue with an umpire. And so I'm out there. Part. I'm out there on the mound lifting my leg and then stepping off. And, and anyway, it, it totally was embarrassing the guy. But like he was going to actually change his mind. Right. But I remember in the midseason there, and we were always really nice. I think we're really kind to those guys. It was a great group of kids, too. But I remember one time after a game we'd lost and you asked, you had them in a group and you were always really great as a coach, too. And you're really positive with kids. And you said, Darren, do you have anything to, to say? And I remember being mad. And I was like, look, if, if you guys don't ever want to be able to beat teams like this, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and, and don't take any kind of feedback. But if you if you want to beat this team and you should be able to beat this team, then we need to change. So that's something you need to think about. I would and but I do think there's a time and place to say to challenge people as a coach. And it's a fine line. You need to be able to say you can do better, and you're not going to do better doing the things you're already doing. Well, how do you do that? Is, right? How do I maximize each guy's ability? How do I do it? Sometimes you got to challenge him. It's it's the guy who's yelling at them all the time where that doesn't work. You just lose people. But sometimes it's how you do it, obviously. Right. You know, yeah. and I think we're going back to the Babcock thing. I think maybe might have crossed that line on occasion. You know what I mean? It was, where, yeah, yeah. It was too constant, right? Where, where you lose people. And, yeah. and that's that's the thing. And <laughs> I, Stu, is there, I mean, you know this better than anybody as well, but me growing up, there are a few things in this world that are better than when Darren Clark is competing you know, it's just, it's something to behold. This, the Darren Clark in the middle of competition, the personality, <laughs> it's special. But it's just, just, it's different. It's a winner's mentality, I would call it, which. No question. Taken a lot of ways. <laughs> it's oh, I can tell you. Many different ways. Sometimes he's admonishing an umpire and showing him how, what a box is. I could tell you so many stories, Mel. The one story, I know that it's a little bit off topic, but it was funny because we were trying to, we were doing okay. We were probably in the middle of the pack. And actually it, it ties into something that happened in the NHL last week where the goalie for the Islanders took a shot off the mask during warm-up. Oh, Farlamov, I think. Yeah, he got okay. hurt. So I texted Darren. I said, did you see this? And Darren says, I can't believe that McClure is now playing for the Islanders. Well, first of all, I, I didn't know who did it to one of our goalies during warm-up. But Darren even remembered the guy who did it to our goalie, which is kind of unique. And also, the very next game, I was on the same level. It's kind of like uh, after Dave did that to our goalie, the next game, I said to the guys, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> the first round when we're going to take shots we're going to go to the low left pad the next round you go to the low right pad the next round shoot towards his blocker and the next round you shoot towards your glove and i was talking to all of the guys in the dressing room like whatever 11 12 guys and darren's like Stu, Stu, hang on a second and i'm like what and he said okay everybody don't worry about doing what Stu just did. Don't shoot at the goalie's head. Just warm up the goalie. <laughs> and then well, he came I, over to me. And then he came over to me and goes, Stu, 
like the majority of the guys in this room, when they shoot the puck, have no idea where it's going. So how do you expect them to warm up the goalie? Actually, the, the best thing would have been to actually follow through with Stu's plan and see how many guys actually could do it. <laughs> no, I think, that's what, I think my initial reaction was nobody in here could do that. Nobody in here could do that. There's probably a few of us, but yeah, the whole point was just don't hit the goalie in the damn head. And yeah, Jesse and I keep it down. Just Jesse and I got in a big argument about that because uh, Bill Nylander hit a goalie in the head a couple times in practice last year, and I was like, "That's a bad sign." Yeah, only hammerheads hit their own goalie in the head, <laughs> and we, and he's like, "Well, I've hit the goalie in the head," and I was like, "Well, then you're a bit of a hammerhead." Because you should never hit your own goalie in in the head. Like you just yeah. don't. You err on the side of caution. You don't come close to hitting your goalie in the head. To me, that's the ultimate sign of the fact you're you're a wanker hockey player if you ever hit your goalie in the head. I'd, I'd come up with the candy cane tape and hand it to him. Please, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just use this so everybody knows. Yeah, just for, the future of the goalie. <laughs> no question. I'll be right back because I got a the cat. I forgot to feed the cat, so I'll be I'll be right back. You guys chat, chat emotions. And he's killing you, Stu. And he's got to go, you know, I'll be right yeah. back. I you know? For the cat. I mean, pull over the bus for a minute. Let him out. Yep. Go take care of the cat. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just, yeah. No, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so tying back in with what you were saying, as far as it seems like the players are calling the shots around here. I mean, if Harden can say he wants traded to either Philadelphia or the Nets and he gets his wish, that's part of what's going on in sports today. I think that it's going to be very difficult for Babcock to get another job coaching for that reason, because there's so many players that have already spoken out and I don't know of a management group. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think that he's going to get a job coaching today. I don't think that he's going to do a very good job behind the microphone with NBC. I just, I've heard him, do post games and I've listened to other media guys recently saying that they're very surprised Babcock is going to be behind the mic with NBC because Babcock never liked us. He was never, he never liked the media. So what, what is going to happen here? So more than anything, it's, it's going to be a wait and see. But, but here's the difference. Now he needs him. Now, now his agenda has changed. He hated doing the media stuff and he was, a bit of a dick with it. He, so he, he timed it and then he was gone. Now, now it's different. This, this is part of his, his reputation tour, changing it. So I'm going to guess he's going to be the opposite of Mike Babcock. He's going to be the most jovial, contribute like you wouldn't believe and give you all this insight. And I disagree with you. I think he does get another job. I think he gets a job because hockey people, when their teams turn sideways and they're desperate, one thing still remains. I think Mike Babcock's a good hockey coach, and I think he gets results. And I think somebody will turn to that and go, well, obviously, let's hope he's learned that part of the, you know, that ain't going to fly anymore. I bet you he gets a job. And, you know, maybe not this year, but next year when, uh, you know, a team starts the first month of the season and they're terrible, they're going to go, who can turn this ship around? I know, Mike Babcock. And I might be willing to take a chance on a guy like that. But obviously this is going to be part of him, you know, reestablishing himself and showing that he's, he's a pretty good, pretty good boy, you know, part of the hockey guys. So you watch, that's my prediction. Anyways, I, I disagree with that. I think he does get another chance. John Tortorella, 
Do we have to say anything more than John Tortorella? Absolutely. There you go. I mean, talk about <laughs> reputation preceding you. Yeah. He was a good he was a good guy in terms of being an analyst. They don't have any skin in the game. It's a lot different when somebody's questioning something you have control of as opposed to something somebody else has got control of and you don't you don't have any control of it as well. So, so it's easier to sit back and be like, yeah, whatever, here's what I think. Yeah, as no opposed risk. to say why I'm don't you play in Austin Matthews more? You know, right. that's where the ego gets involved. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. How's the cat? Or I think you just went to get the beer, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, there was it was two pronged thing. Like there's 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 no reason for me not to get the beer since I was already up there, but the cat was driving me crazy. He was biting me and scratching at stuff, so it had to be done. I will say, Stu, Darren has been remarkably consistent no matter what time of day we do this, that he has a beer and I'm kinda envious like I, i'm proud at well, wait though time. and i think maybe it needs to be part of our thing like we did one at 11 o'clock in the morning and darren, darren was drinking guinness and i'm like that's kind of impressive i think <laughs> well guinness is a great breakfast number here's the thing that was yeah. the only beer i had that day to me it's like what do i have to look forward during lockdown and it's like this is it i mean this on our email is entitled beers with stew so I, I have my beer. I don't know what you guys are doing if you you're failing at the basic premise of this whole thing. I, but I have one beer left. I'm going to get it. Give me two seconds. I just leave you, Stu. You're the only one left. To me and you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I got beers over there, but I'm, I don't know. I do think that, that Babcock was instrumental in turning the, the Maple Leaf team around. So I will give him credit for that. Good for him. I mean, even if things kind of went sideways early last year with him having to get the boot, that's fine. But in the, in the initial, like initially when the J, when the, when the Maple Leafs first got him, I was really happy. It's like, this is going to be great. And then, and then for the three years he was there, I thought that he did a great job and maybe other teams will take advantage of that. I'm just curious to see if the way players more or less are, are run the show with, with how teams are constructed recently, what team is going to go out of their way to bring Babcock in with all of this stuff that, that's been said about him since he was fired by the Leafs? Let's think about this, though, too. Aside from the John Tortorella thing, who, where are a lot of these teams owned? Like, there's teams in Florida. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to be? Like, think about, you know, there's teams in Texas. That elects Ted Cruz. Do you think that these places are going to have huge problems? Oh, my God, we've got Mike Babcock coaching a hockey team, which <laughs> means 90% of the population doesn't even resonate with them anyway. I, I, I just don't see a big backlash against that. There's too many places that don't care, number one, or number two, uh, that, that level of political correctness, that nuanced stuff is, is not happening in, in large part there. But it isn't even that political correctness. It's a guy like Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. I mean, if they were to go over to the executive and said, through hell or high water, I do not want Babcock as my coach, what will the executive say to them? Well, they'd win. You're correct. That, 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 if, if that was the case, he's not getting that job. You're right. But there does come a time when maybe Connor McDavid goes, hey, man, I want to win. And yeah. uh, Let's let's yeah. give it a shot because yeah, this, this is hockey players is not working. 
It's not basketball players, right? There's a big difference. Like Mel referenced basketball players having more yeah. power and getting coaches. in. Hockey players, to me, even the union and, and their whole relationship with owners seems markedly different than yeah. the more advanced ones like the NBA. True. So what else is going on, Stu? Um, I guess along the same line, sort of. Uh, <laughs> I thought Jake Veracek's outburst to the media guy asking a question was interesting. I mean, I guess this ties into what we were saying earlier as far as players go too, right? Because when we were talking about the Twitter world with, with Trevor Bauer, I mean, the way that our media attention is placed today, him, when Voracek blurted out to that one reporter that he's, he's questioning, even answering He's, he's debating on whether he should even answer this question because it's coming from you. And when I respond to you, you're going to write whatever you effing feel like writing. Did he call so, him a weasel? Then, yeah. Yeah. But then he did answer the question, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, Mal and I talked about it that night. And I thought that the I first I wanted to know where was this pre-existing issue between him and that writer. And never somebody – Somebody had quoted a line he had said that was, I guess, a creative sort of critique of Voracek's lack of attention to back-checking and playing his defensive zone. And it was, I guess, a whimsical uh, sort of kind of observation on it. I didn't think it was that bad. I think – I hate when people say, you make X million dollars a year so you should have to take this or you know you should have to take concussions whatever you know keep your head up that sort of thing when people you know are endangered on the surface but i think off the ice you do have to take a little bit of critique you do i don't know i don't have a big problem with it either way i think you shouldn't be so thin-skinned but i can appreciate why he was to a degree like you said he didn't answer the question so it wasn't he just I, I, I don't know, to me it's fair it's fair for him, for Voracek to think differently than me for that writer to think differently than me I don't think there's anything really horrible in the mix here that you can't say well it's just people making their own individual choices and good for them maybe I agree with it maybe I don't so be it here's here's the thing the way I always handled that was for, for starters nothing is gained from doing it nothing is gained does does a writer yeah, it's his job to critique. That's his job. And, and as an athlete, because you make a lot of money, it's not because you make the money. You make the money because people are interested in your sport, in your performance. They have great interests. The money is paid by the fans. The writer is the medium. He's the guy representing the fans. They want to hear from you. So you gain nothing by being a dick to that writer because the writer always has the last word. So... Do you have a right to do it that? Absolutely. Knock yourself out. Go ahead. Call him every name in the book. You're going to lose that battle over time. You're going to lose it because you don't have the, the word, the last word on this. The writer does, you know? So there's ways to handle that in a classy way. I, as a PR guy, can put you in touch with the writer or I can do it for you. I could go, hey, whatever your name is, writer, why did you write that? You know, Voracek 
feels you question his character. It's it's okay to question his performance. He didn't backtrack very well. His defensive play isn't very good, but it was almost yeah. a shot of his character that he doesn't care. So you can have those conversations and avoid that kind of thing, you know? Um, well, now, if I'm the league, I like it. It's great. It's great business. It's great business. <laughs> you know, if I'm the team and the player, not so much. If I'm the league, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. This is good for our game. But it depends what, which avenue you're looking at, it, which, which pair of glasses. Isn't it a hard dynamic when you really think about it? In that, like, let's let's take Alice Kerfoot. I was just criticizing the way he takes his stick and, and his general play overall. It would be really hard to be a reporter and talk to Alex Kerfoot, who might be a really great guy, could be a swell human being, could be a very thoughtful and kind human being. And you go into the room and you talk to him and you recognize him as being that, but you have to write an article. And when you watch the game and go, boy, Alex Kerfoot was kind of crappy again last night or average or mediocre or whatever you want to say, it's going to feel, I, I can understand both sides of it. I can understand how Alex Kerfoot would feel betrayed. You were just standing there talking to him and reflecting back to him that you'd like him and think highly of him Absolutely. as a human being. But then you have to write an article about how he does professionally. Like just the dynamic fundamentally seems like that's just going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. Human beings being like Voracek's a veteran. So you're kind of surprised that he would be that sensitive about it. But it's also our, our, where we're at with zoom and not having to man up and look a guy in the face that, that, you know, how many times it's like, uh, you know, any, any confrontation, it's easy to be angry at somebody until you got to stare them eye to eye kind of, you know, like maybe you're not so tough after all, you know, those kind of things kind of take care of themselves. And a lot of times you'll find writers that got to face a guy in the locker room. Maybe they're not so critical when they know they got to show up the next day. And that's part of being a professional. You write something, you do show up to at least face the music and make yourself available if the guy wants to have a discussion, you know? Okay. It's missing now. I'm glad we're here because somebody I think you're familiar with and probably one of the most controversial people in Toronto sports writing is Steve Simmons. Yep. And he's someone I have very, I don't know, complicated feelings towards because I think he's one of the rare sources of actual legitimate critique for some of the organizations in Toronto. Mm -hmm. But at other times, the level of grandstanding um, and just some of it seems a little bit heartless at times to me. And it, it, it just one of those ones where you're just on the pure basic level of, Oh man, that doesn't feel right to say it that way. Or, or, you know, like when, the Raptors were talking about, oh, I, I shouldn't mess this one up either. When Masai Ujiri was talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and right. he barged in and started talking about shootings in Toronto, and uh, it was just so poorly done. But anyway, I'm babbling on. I just think he's a complicated guy who is, who is what's your, if you're comfortable talking about this week? Sure, just, sure. Uh, what, what's your take on, on Steve Simmons? I'm uh, I'm a big fan of Steve um, for a lot of reasons. I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think anytime you take on that role, which is diminishing in in not only Toronto everywhere, he's a columnist. You know, he he writes an opinion piece. He's not he's not a beat writer. He's not there to cover the game on a daily basis. He is there to provide opinion. It's a different you know 
job description, let me say. When you take on that role, yeah, I think sometimes you're probably going to cross the line just like sometimes a guy's going to turn the puck over, you know? It happens. I think that stuff with Masai, he got killed for that. But I think it was very fair. When you, as an organization, take on that role that they do, which is fantastic, the questions are fair to ask. Now, maybe he didn't present it as well as he wanted to. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm giving him too much benefit of the doubt for it. But I had no problem with what what he was doing there, you know? When you have strong opinions, you're going to get that kind of backlash. And that's the sort of thing that generates interest. I think 95% of the time it comes from a place of honesty with him. I think that's why he's lasted this long. And I think it's why he's good at what he does. I know him a little bit and I know that he does a lot of due diligence. You know what I mean? A lot of work goes into what he does. Sometimes, you know, like I said, sometimes you turn the puck over. Everybody does. We all do. I think journalism needs it i think we're we're losing that sort of quality of 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 writing quality of opinion everybody now it just seems they're just regurgitating the teams control too much of the narrative now and if they don't like what you write the industry is losing they can't pay people so now that you're hiring junior writers that are just worried about their access they don't want to criticize too much you need that kind of guy and if we lose them, what's left? You know, the, the team tells you what to write. And if they don't like it, they won't talk to you. And you don't have the experts. You got you got a writer covering five sports or coming off the crime beat because they can't afford to hire baseball writers. They can't. So th- that's the kind of thing I really still enjoy reading his column because I think there's a knowledge there that he has. That, that's how the fan base gets a little bit more knowledgeable, I believe. I mean, that's my take on it. I don't know if you agree, but. Yeah, I don't know. What's your, what's your thoughts, Stu? I don't like Steve Simmons. Um, I, read, <laughs> I read his articles. I probably read almost every one of the articles that he writes, and I'll bet you that that's the reason why I read it is because I feel he's controversial. I think he turns the puck over way too often. I, don't, <laughs> I just don't think he's very smart. I think that the reason he's so controversial is because he doesn't, he, he doesn't put things – he could put things differently. He doesn't have to put them the way he puts them, but he, he might even want to be controversial, and that's why he, he puts them the way that he does because that's his preference. That's, that's why he's so popular, and that's why he does the, the things the way he does them. But, yeah, I read, I read all of his stuff, and I guess mostly I find him okay. I find him – He's, he's enjoyable to read. There's just so many times through the article where I shake my head and I just think to myself, what an idiot. You know what? I don't like this guy. Well, part of the genius is what you said. I read them all the time. That's part yeah. of the genius. Yep, for sure. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of writers that cover all the sports that I don't bother to read at all because I know there's nothing there. You know? Oh, I have read writers, read writers that I don't read either for the same reason. For sure. Yeah, he is a touchstone for, for Toronto sports. You, you give him that either way you want to look at it. Like there's times where I think I have problems with some of his perspectives ethically on how he reports. I thought the Austin Matthews things, you and I disagree with Mel. I thought it was a story that didn't need to be told. And I think you need to be able to do that as a writer and say that 
this isn't something that needs to be told or heard. And I disagree um, with you totally on that one, but that's what ab- absolutely. And then I think that's fair. I mean, that's the bottom line here. But what we're talking about is, I think there is room for disagreement and for people that have different perspectives to still engage in yeah, that's sports right. writing. I, I, do, I do think that you, you compared COVID to a vasectomy, and I think that uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't read something like a, something I like threw off in a tweet. I didn't. I didn't compare. Like I don't really think there's the same thing. Well, <laughs> are, are you sure you have? You sure you just didn't just have a vasectomy? You didn't make a comment. Like that's yeah, nobody. You you equated the level of information and the need to know to the vasectomy, and I, I think I kind of shot that one down, saying I don't think I've ever heard of a pandemic in the name of vasectomies. You know what I mean? So I don't think there's ever caused. I don't think you said that. I think cause. you're. I think you've been working on this rebuttal for weeks and it's unfair to suddenly to do this, to throw it out here. Like something that I didn't even think very hard about. I was like, do we really need to know about everything about an athlete in the off season? Do we really need to know? No, that was my point. Like, do we need to know if they have a vasectomy? I just chucked it out there. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. We don't. Right. I didn't write an essay about this. this. It wasn't my, you know, this instance we did. Hey Mal, we did need to know. Hey Mal. Yes, dude. He also said that fan, baseball fans who enjoy watching players hit home runs is similar to a teenager having an orgasm. <laughs> no, no, wait a second. No, you guys, like, you guys can't even quote me right. Like, you guys shouldn't be reporters. Like, you guys are turning over the podcast. But, but here's one thing we should do. We should write a book of Darren Clark's, you know, words to live by, by, uh, by one, by World Dervish. I think that would be because because there are some beauties there, and I know it wasn't the yeah. quote's not correct. Maybe Darren, you can uh, you know actually well, get right, but it is beautiful. The guys at when Bobby uh, Bobby and them used to sit beside me at the call center, and I would take escalated calls. They had a, like a running tracker of things I said on escalated calls to to different customers because they found it entertaining. It, it, and it so is. there's there is some no. We got to start writing them down, Stu. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, but at least get them right. Because what I meant with the home runs, it's like it's like a, a teenager just learning what an orgasm is and just thinking, I want to have this happen every 17 seconds. Right. And That's kind of where Major League Baseball is with the home run. And like the there's more, gas, there's more to love. Gas. No more home runs, please. No more. Right. <laughs> there's more to love. There's more to baseball than just home runs and orgasms. Well, there's foreplay, man. Like you need yeah. So where are we at, Stu? You know, Stu's the kind of bus driver that you know. If there's that dude running down the street waving his arms, Stu's stopping every time. He's just gonna sit at that bus stop, and I got you, pal. Like I, everybody, nobody's in a hurry here today. You know what I mean? <laughs> Stu's like that greatest bus driver. I would say time out real quick. If everybody could stop hitting their tables, that would be great. Because that gets picked up in go. the mics. You got to go? I got to. No, I, I've, I just found out that I'm running low on my battery power. And I was I moved the table a little bit because I wanted oh, to see okay, if I had an okay. AC chart at hand. But I, I don't. But I think I got about 10% left. So we have at least eight more minutes. You don't have a plug? <laughs> yeah, but it's upstairs. I got to go run and get it. Go get it. <laughs> okay, How hard second. is this? Darren, if they ever did uh, like a YouTube video or, or, you know, 
one of those uh, packages to put together on how to make a podcast. This would be in the how not to. Category. How not to. Yeah. <laughs> Look at these guys with the cords <laughs> and the cats and the and the yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the telephones. <laughs> do you want? Do you want to answer the questions from uh, from readers? Sure. Or from listeners, not not readers. So the first question comes from Bobby from Thorold. Mm-hmm who was given the option to ask anything in the world of you. And so his question was, are you related to Rennie or Aaron Romanin? I played baseball with Aaron in Fort Erie growing up. We started the junior team together. I've been in Nona's numerous times for supper when Aaron lived there. Does that make any sense to you? Sure, it makes sense. Uh, Rene, I know. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know Aaron, so I know them very little i know i know i'm related in some form or fashion but bobby's experience with the, with them would be much greater than my own so yes we're related but uh not not close well no. rennie was part of the uh the for those not from thorold there was like a legendary group of baseball players from thorold there was a couple great age groups of players one was a year younger than us. So that would be Kenny Sentence and Mike Bowler right. and all those guys who are our amazing team. And the other one was older than us. So that'd be Lou Gonzalez and Rennie Romanen would have been on that right. team as well. I remember going to see those guys at McMillan Park, which is 350 down the line. It's a beautiful park in Fort by the way. One of the, one of the most parks beautiful baseball parks you're ever going to run across. Yeah, 350 down the line either way. And it went straight to center field. No curve, no bend, no nothing. And I remember a dude on that team hit multiple home runs, dead center field. It's, it's over 500 feet out there. Absolutely. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Major leaguers don't hit the ball 500 feet. Yes. That, that is insane. Yeah. I remember, this is just quick, quick, just you, always brings me back to that time. I'm, I'm sure I've told you this before. Playing second base, McMillan Park, playing well in... Yvonne Corvo, who went on to play in the NHL and have a pretty darn good career with Hartford and I think Montreal, maybe a little bit, um, but definitely Hartford. He hit a ball right at me, a a rocket that I was certain I was going to catch. The ball left the yard. He hit it so hard, it just kept rising. (laughs) I mean, maybe by the time it got to me, 10 feet over my head at second base, and I turned around, it just... Right center field. I'd never seen a ball hit that hard. Surprise. I remember that game. I'm a professional hockey player. You know, <laughs> you knew yeah. he was on a different level. There was him and Adam Creighton on that team. And I remember who played for the Sabres, of course. Yep. And I remember playing right field the same game. I can remember that day perfectly. And there was the big trees. There was some willows outside of right field. Right. Dawson, Jeff Dawson was playing center field for us. And I was playing right field. And all we were essentially doing was we're like, just swiveling our necks to watch these home runs, these epic home runs. What were we, 14 at that time? 14, 15? Yeah, yeah, probably. Just destroy. And I remember warming up Ross Campbell, our pitcher that game. (laughs) 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 So I don't even know why Ross pitched, but I mean, that's, that's how you don't win one baseball game in a season. And I remember warming him up, and he was like, did, and he would keep saying to me after every pitch, did that curve? And I would say, yeah, sure. 
<laughs> of course it didn't. Everything was just like slow and straight. The best straight. part is that he asked you if it curved. By the way, he has almost the same vantage point you do. He <laughs> <laughs> did it curve? Yeah, did yeah, sure, curve. Uh, that's that's our baseball teams, dude. That's that's where we were at in those days. Did you just tell? Did you, did you just tell them curved or did it curve? Oh no, it didn't curve at all. Everything was, <laughs> no. everything was slow and straight. The other game we played them, we, we got mercy that game in Thorold. The other game was at Burger Park, which was even a smaller park. Well, you got and in right field, there was like, I don't know what it was, maybe 300, mm-hmm. a little bit more in right field. And then it was like in industry because it's well it. Like, you know, there's not enough industry pumping out toxic chemicals. You know, right field, that was the app, that was the view you had there of the, the toxic chemical plants in, <laughs> in right field. And Reggie was pitching, Mike Riddle, who was who was long on hair, had a lot of hair, because this is the 80s, a lot of earrings, and absolutely no repertoire as far as pitching. His only qualification was that his dad works at the volunteer fire department, which is the way to get in our pitching rotation. If your if your dad was a volunteer firefighter. You got to be in our starting rotation. And I remember a, this. I've told the story a million times, but he, I love it. because he, he it's 10 years old. He was dominant then. Reggie? Yeah. Yeah, because he had a curveball, whatever. And then by the time we were 14, 15, it was all gone. That's right. It was all gone. And I remember Carlo Cicchini was playing center field with a Thorold uniform, green shirt, white pants, and he had a vest, a leather vest Molly on hatchet. that had Molly Hatchet. <laughs> I mean, you think you think those movies like Bad News Bears and stuff are made up. They're not. No, no. You just haven't seen our team. <laughs> but so it's I remember the score being 30 to nothing, 30 to nothing. This is a real score. I'm not making it up. And Jeff Dawson was playing left field that day. And Jeff Dawson, the guy least likely to take any guff. Yeah. And, and Jeff Dawson was not made to take any guff. And that's where you want your best player. Left. Field. Right. So he's out in left field. Our best player is playing left field, of course, because we never put him in a good position. And there was some guy in Welland with his, he had a dress shirt on. It's open all the way to his belly button and he's hammered. So you know you're in Welland, right? We got a toxic <laughs> waste plants in right field. It's you got a drunk PNC. guy. It's not PNC Park here. Right, right. Drunk guy wobbling down the left field line and he's yelling, You guys are awful. Like we're kids. And he's yelling at you guys suck. You're horrible. And finally, Jeff Dawson takes just about enough and turns to the guy and says, We know. <laughs> we know. Uncle, we know. Yeah, we know. We know. It's not a it's not a secret. That was plan for Thorold. So, Stu, before you come back, we got one more question for Mal. And that's uh from Justin. Justin in St. Catharines. You may be familiar with him from talking a lot of wrestling. Uh, but his question is, do you have any good Getty Lee stories? You know what? Remarkably, no. And I'll tell you why. Getty Lee, unlike almost any other celebrity, did not want to come into the clubhouse. He loves baseball. And he would come and go. I mean, he may have been in there once or twice. He wasn't a hanger on. He wasn't one of those guys. And man, you want to talk about celebrities in the clubhouse. That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah. Just came and watched baseball games. Yeah, that was one point I was going to clarify for those for those who are the uninitiated is that Getty Lee comes to almost every baseball game, sits about four or five rows behind home plate and keeps score. Old school. Getty's, Getty's old school like that. 
and, and that's how hardcore a baseball fan he was. He wasn't there to schmooze with players. He loved baseball. He loves yeah. baseball. Like it's passion. Like he just wasn't that guy, you know, and man, the number of people that came to the club, which is really kind of one of the perks. It was really fun to see, you know, all these different people come through and, you know, Snoop Dogg was there. I remember once what a, what a you know, just, it's kind of overwhelming. Just kind of, you kind of laugh because Paul Stanley and, you know, those kind of guys come in and you're just like, this is insane. You, you never saw Getty Lee. You never saw him. And I kind of, kind of respect it almost. You okay, know wait, wait, mean? wait. You mentioned Paul. Yeah, for sure. And I totally agree. I, I, that's the way I would be if I was there. <laughs> You got a new ring? That's How many different time. rings you got going on over there? <laughs> Who's calling you now? Is the Pentagon calling you? Is that your Pentagon ring? <laughs> Is there trouble in Washington? Is this what happens when the Capitol was attacked? They like call you on that? <laughs> that that's right right now, yeah. No, that wasn't Washington, though. That's Ottawa. Just that's Ottawa. <laughs> you are a legend, Steve. <laughs> yes. So Paul Stanley, uh, yeah. Justin's going to want me to ask about Paul Stanley. Like, it, what was Paul Stanley doing there? He sang the anthem, I believe. Really? Um, yeah. And I will say, of all the people that have ever been through the two, there was only twice where I was kind of in awe. Like, you see, they're just every, people are people, right? I mean. What's a different singer, baseball player, grocery store bagger, as you say, you know, at the end of the day. And when you're down there all the time, you completely lose that kind of, you know, fanboy mentality when you work there. Twice I've had it. Paul Stanley was one. And I was just the other one was Charlie Sheen, (laughs) strangely enough, because such a character larger than life. You're just like and had I had like a 20 minute conversation with him. But Paul Stanley just, I don't know, I guess it was my view of how I grew up and my love of the music and how larger than life he was. And there he was beside yeah. me. And we just kind of, it was just me and him too, because he was waiting to do his thing. It was pregame and he was just standing there. No one was talking to him. It, like the players, I don't think knew who he was right. at this point. It's like, he's yeah. too old, yeah. right? And to have like... Uh, maybe been five minutes max probably less it just seemed like forever and we just sat there and i just talked to him like he was just you know i just said what a pleasure to meet you just thanks and he was just he was just looking around and it's like he probably didn't know how to act because these people aren't fawning all over him all the time and he was just this character of wow that's paul stanley man like it's just kind of overwhelmed by the moment and it was just really cool and he was one of the only guys i had a picture with yeah, I did with him and Charlie, and I was like, I gotta have this now. It, on a phone, it's long been lost, so I've lost the photo. But it was just kind of neat to, you know, it's, it's a lot of your childhood and how you view these characters, and there he is, there he is, you know. And uh, I just it was one of those moments where I kind of actually still treasure it a little bit. It was kind of neat. Stu, did you uh, you got a plug going on there? Yep. Are you All good? good. Have more than eight minutes. So, now, what else did you have I, on your list? Okay, real quick. Um, if you're Mark Bergevin, what do you think about Pierre Luc Dubois? Would you trade Suzuki and Romanov to get him? Who, who's no suggesting chance. that? No chance. Romanov's a good player. He really I, is. He's been a. He was a revelation to me. We talked about the Habs when we talked the first time. They're a good team. This. 
I like I'll say this because there are little people don't need to hear this, but our little hockey pool. I chose Montreal as the team to disappoint. I had no idea about that kid. Like and oh yeah, ignorance admitted. I saw him play, and you're like, this guy's good. This guy's a yes. player. Yeah. Wow, he's he's exactly the kind of D man you want these days. He can play a little physical. He's smart. Can move the puck well. You had wow. that guy and Josh Anderson, who I I'm in love with that player. And Ooh, he was good in that game against the Leafs. Well, he's a, oh mercy. He's a beast. He's your modern day power forward. Like you, he's your Tom Wilson. You know, he's a poor man's Tom Wilson. And Tom Wilson, nobody has any rebuttal for Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson does whatever the hell he wants to on the ice. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. And and you're right. Josh is that in that conversation. And yeah, when you can get a guy like that. Like you, you do it. I, well, I don't know what Columbus is thinking because that's Tortorella's kind of guy too, you know? So what, how that came about, like, and Max Domi isn't, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't make that deal, Stu. Like the, the deal as you presented it, would I be interested in him? For sure. Pierre Luc Dubois is, is a fantastic player. And Montreal's and, missing that. They're missing. What is that. going on? Why does he want to leave Columbus? What does anybody know this? I don't know. I mean, have we read part of articles as we're prone to and <laughs> or understood it? Or I, I, I don't I read, know. I read half a tweet. <laughs> maybe it was on the 2016 Chicago Cup would World it, Series. Would it surprise team. you though that maybe he just doesn't want to play for Tortorella? Tortorella is one of those guys that guys yeah. either love or hate. Like they yeah, love exhausting, or, right? Or get me out of here. You know what I mean? And uh, that wouldn't surprise you with his style of game. That he's like, it just doesn't work. Doesn't work. I don't know that, but that wouldn't surprise me. He was the best. I would say him and Austin Matthews were the best players in that series last year. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to have him on my team. He's one of those guys, though. It's like Jonathan Taves. He's not. He's more a Jonathan Taves than a Patrick Kane. And the problem with guys like Taves is there's a a definitive ceiling on them offensively. So how much are you going to end up investing from your cap for a guy who has that finite of a ceiling offensively? Like what they give to you all over the ice is wonderful. But like we talked about, the ability to score is such a huge thing. Like it does mean something. And, and it goes away quicker. As yes. time goes on, it goes away quicker as opposed to that elite goal scoring and playmaking ability that's, like Kane has. You get a lot longer shelf life with that kind of player, you know? Would you do it, Stu? You asked the question, what would you do? Um, I'm thinking I didn't – like we spoke last couple of weeks ago about how Montreal were able to knock off Pittsburgh in the bubble, which is totally crazy, and I thought it was like a flash. I thought that Suzuki played over his head. They didn't have Anderson or Romanov at the time. And now that I see the team Montreal has, no, I wouldn't do that because as far as Dubois being the player that Montreal needs at this moment, they can't, they can't remove Suzuki and Romanov and, and, and have Dubois come in to, to retain what they got. No, I wouldn't do it. Montreal is a nice mix. Montreal is a nice mix. Don't you think watching them? Like they've got a nice mix of kind of finesse guys and a little bit of size and they're They're missing they're missing scoring, elite scoring, but they make up for it with that back end and depth. Like yeah. depth through the, the, the lineup offensively, like the forwards. And the back end is tough. You get Petrie and Weber and Romanov. Like, yeah. like not many teams can be that deep defensively. Like 
I look at Buffalo and it's like horrific back there. Even like even the Leafs, like you're you're yeah. you're always afraid of the D. You know what I mean? And yeah. Edmonton, it's awful. Most teams, it's hard to find deep defensive units. And if you do, like Nashville's made a you know couple decades out of having great defensemen. I don't know if it's going to win you a Stanley Cup, but you're going to be a good hockey team for a long time with deep defenders. Well, the Leafs thing, and I don't know if you guys talked about this before I came on the call today, is the one thing that sticks out to me, and we talked about it the first time, is is Morgan Riley a top two defenseman? And I haven't seen that in two years. And before that one year, I didn't see it before then either. So you've got Brody and Riley, who are your like shutdown guys, and I don't know if that's a role they're really going to be successful in. Like, I know you could chuck Matthews out there 24 minutes a game, and I don't see a, I don't have a problem with that at all. He's that damn good. I don't know if Riley and, and Brody are. At the, I, don't, well, I don't think they are, to be frank. Here's the thing with Riley. I, I agree with you, and it hasn't gone well. And, yeah, he's, a, he's not elite elite like that. But maybe you put him with a better defensive guy, better defensive partner. When you've got Tyson Berry and TJ Brody, maybe – Maybe maybe that's not his ideal partner, you know? I don't know. Like, let's let's try something different here. It's just you've got similar type skill sets, right? Yeah. As your partner, what about Jake Muzzin or or you know, Ole, whatever? Like, just it's it's not complimentary. It doesn't feel. And you're expecting Riley to be that guy that isn't turning out. He's that guy all-around defenseman. What do you think, Stu? Um, as far as the Leafs' defense, they're in trouble. I don't like the Leafs' defense. I really don't. I mean, we've been I talking it was, about it for how, how many years now, right? It's so easy to beat up on Freddie Anderson, and I'm sorry. I know Freddie Anderson has his weaknesses also, but I think Freddie Anderson would be a much better goalie. He has better core defense in front of him. Well, there was people beating up on him before uh, Campbell played that one game. And then the idea was now we should just go with Campbell. And I was so frustrated because it's the, the great Leafs analytics community because we can't figure out enough ways to be smarmy as Leaf fans. I'll say worst thing about being a Leaf fan, other Leaf fans, and particularly <laughs> the analytics community. Because these clowns, are you? because they were throwing out stats like, like Anderson's been the worst at save percentage five on five over the last year. Yeah, because their team is terrible defensively. And the breakdowns are so extreme. They lead to such high percentage chances. And you guys are just lumping it in with all the other percentage chances. You, you guys don't get how bad their breakdowns are, you know? Agreed. And by the way, on another note, when you just mentioned the athletic and stuff, haven't we didn't, I didn't mention the athletic, but you're what you you know I'm talking about Myrtle and Jonas and I thought you did mention nope. it. But hasn't that turned into almost like this fanboy nerd analytic site almost? Like everybody they hire is like it's one type of guy. Yeah. It's one type of guy. Like I want I want stories. I want stories. Like, like as I always say, the best story wins, and you don't get one by throwing a bunch of numbers on paper. Like, you use the numbers if they're valid, which often they're not. To, to they don't replace storytelling. They don't replace storytelling, and I feel like that's what the athletics become. It's like even with baseball. Yeah, it's like it's they're the Tampa Bay Rays of journalism. We got outsmart yet, and yep. 
when you try to outsmart somebody, you're you don't you know who is you the Jays reporter on the Athletic right now? I think Stoughton's gone, right? Caitlin McGrath. Okay. And who else? I don't know. Is that it right now? Because John Locke retired. They let go Stoughton. It so, might be Stoughton Caitlin. terrible. Yeah. It's, it, the Toronto market, who's covering for hockey? I mean, but that's Myrtle, too. He's kind of running the show, and he, it's all – I'll, I'll tell you the classic Myrtle thing was there was a wraparound goal scored against Anderson last year. And he said what the percentage was on that goal happening. And I thought this is the most idiotic stat I've ever heard, because to me, not all wraparounds are created equally. If I can't, if I got to come right around the net and there's a defenseman right there, so I can't to get a step in front of it, that's a se- severely low opportunity. But and in, this was the case. I think it was Taves, actually, now that I, I'm recalling it. If you're able to get a step or two steps in front of the net, oh, man, I, I love my chances because yeah. I've got the whole world to choose from as I come around there. The goalie's moving over. He's opened up. Yeah, And now I, I got hang, all my choices. I can hang on to the puck. I yeah. can shoot. I can, yeah. But if you know my life is in danger the moment I take a little turn, then it's, it's a very low percentage. So to treat them as if they're equal, to me, that's – in. in in a nutshell, exactly the problem with the, the analytics community in terms of lumping in entirely disparate things as if they're the exact same thing. This happened, this exact thing happened with the playoff game, Kansas City, Cleveland, the other day. Cleveland had the ball, there was three something to go on the clock, fourth and nine at their own 30, down five points against Cleveland, and they punted. And Everybody in the thing. Well, it's a, it was a toss up. Analytically, it was a toss up. I'm going, are you kidding me? That is every situation that's been recorded. It's you've got one chance to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a divisional playoff game. You have one choice. Go for it. If you don't get it, you have to stop them anyways. Yes, the ball's on your 30. You stop them. They kick a field goal. You still have a chance to win. You know what your best chance is? Getting nine yards. Yeah. <laughs> As the Cleveland Browns in Kansas City, they punted the ball and never got it back. But the analytics community was, well, it's a toss-up. There's no toss-up. Right. They, they forfeited a down with the game on the line in a, in a building, Kansas City, that they had no business being in this position and they were in it. How about you try to win? How about you try to get nine yards and keep the football with 340 to go in the game? You know, yeah. it's just that kind of thing where but they go, oh. but the analytics say 31%. So 31 is gospel. Not here, not today, not this moment. That's it's, it's the old Billy Bragg thing. You're talking to the tax man about poetry. They're just never going to get it, man. You're, you know, not that's nails. That's that's can, that's can you put that that poem in a spreadsheet for me, please? <laughs> and it'll discount it because it doesn't add up, right? It I doesn't guess. add up. That's correct. That's correct. So, Stuart, are do you got anything? Your sheet, where are we on your sheet now? That's I want to fit you know what? I have, right. I'm just tying in now to what Mal is interesting how Mal brought up the wraparound goal to Cleveland losing to Kansas City in football. But I hear you. It's the 31% analytics, which is fine because the other part of that game was fumbling the ball going through the end zone 
and now Kansas City gets possession? Like, how the hell does that happen? Like, that's still Cleveland's ball on the two or three yard line, and that could have been a game changer right there, too. Yeah, that's Anyways, one of those funny rules, eh? Like, if he fumbled oh, it and went out on the one, it's still Cleveland's ball on the one. Yeah. But because yeah. it went into the end zone, yeah. they lose possession. Yeah. I mean, and I'm that, glad and to that game, too. That, that five-point game, and there's so many things that, that Cleveland did to shoot themselves in the foot. But the last note or the last topic I think is going to be funny information for you guys is it's going to be wonderful to see Tom Brady – playing against the Buffalo Bills during the Super Bowl. I'll tell you what wouldn't be wonderful, seeing Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Uncle and Tom Brady. Uncle, you know? Yep. I mean, at least against the Bills, I kind of – there is – it's kind of interesting. Other than that, can can Green Bay just win the football game, please? <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm kind of tired of the – as much respect as you got to have for Tom Brady. Kind of tired of that little. Definitely, routine. I'm tired of it too. I hope he loses, but well, you gotta like the Bills' chances, right? I, I hated that tackle. Yeah. I hated, hated, hated that tackle. I didn't want Cleveland to win that game as soon as I saw that tackle that made uh, go blank on the quarterback's name for Kansas City. Mahomes. Mahomes leave the game. That's an awful tackle. That's a horrible tackle. Like you, you just you let go of the guy. The guy's going down anyway holding on to his head in the manner that he did, there's only that only ends in a bad way. And you know what's funny? Nobody talked about it. Well, they kept saying that he landed awkwardly. No, he didn't land awkwardly. Dude tackled him in a stupid way, in a, in a pointless way. It's not like he was going to go down to the end zone if he didn't do anything. He was already down, essentially. And he just kept holding on to his neck in a way that, like, these guys are pros. You've played contact sports. You know that's yeah. not going to end well for the guy you got a hold of. Right. And you know there's no point in you holding on to him. Well. Awful play. And you also I, know that's your only avenue to win a football game, too, which is not okay. But yeah, you know, and I didn't like Bills fans kind of rejoicing in the fact that Mahomes is probably not going to play next game. That bugged me a whole lot. Like, I, I want him to play. Yeah, you want to beat the best guy. I don't want to play them without Mahomes. I really don't. Like, bring it, you know? Well, Stu was talking, we were talking about hockey. Do you remember that game we played in the playoffs where the goalie didn't have, he had only one stick for the other team and he broke a stick. So he asked us for a stick. Yeah. And there's all this humming and hawing on our bench. And I'm like, just give the goalie a damn stick because I don't yeah. want to win because their, their goalie didn't have a stick. Yeah. And you don't want to go play the Kansas City Chiefs and beat them because, you know, Mahomes isn't playing. That's so right. I want to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, the legit Kansas City Chiefs. You, you know? know why, too? Because they can beat them, and it might cheapen it. You know who can't beat right. them? You know who can't beat them? The Cleveland Browns. They, they could not stay on the field with them. That was their way to win. Buffalo can win the football game, and you don't want anyone to say, well, if they had Mahomes, you guys weren't winning. No, I want them on the field, and I'd rather lose. I'd rather lose to Mahomes than win against Chad Henney. And you know what? There's parallels to dial this back to when we're talking about the Jays. The parallels between the Bills and the, this season and the Jays this season is really uncanny because what you're talking about is being in a division without very many good teams. And that's what the Bills are facing. There isn't a whole lot of great teams for them to have to go through. And when there's a small amount of teams you really have to go through, your chances just go up so exponentially. And I think that's what the Jays are looking at. The American League doesn't have a whole lot of good teams. 
it's not a perfect analogy, but I think the AFC and the AL are similar in terms of not a whole lot of depth in terms of really great teams. All right, boys. Um, yep. We should probably wrap this up. Uh, Stu, you want to park that son of a gun? You know, park the bus. I will say this, Stu. The fact that you're the first repeat guest, and secondly, that we could just seemingly do this all afternoon without any, you know, any need for any struggle. This has, I think, it says something. So it's 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 it's, it's a pure joy to do this. Definitely, it's a pleasure being with you guys too. Yeah, it's it's. it's it's a lot of fun. So I'm sure the demand is just going to do nothing but increase here for a period of time. All right. Take care, boys. Let's uh, okay, go see you this weekend. And obviously, see you guys. Yeah.